we need in our lives priorities as a guide. Maybe some of you have read uh, the book. I know I read it in, in high school, so it's been a long time, but Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and uh, I think I read the Highly Effective Teen version. I don't think I've ever actually read the adult version, so I'm still living a, a very highly effective teenager life, so if you have any criticisms of me, I guess now we know why. Um, but he, one of the principles in there, one of the habits, is to put first things first. That's one of the things. And we, we know that, even if you've never read that book, but we, we need priorities as a guide in our life. Uh, some of you are maybe engaged or have been recently married or looking to get married, or maybe some of you are single, and uh, if, if you, all the single people, you can just kind of raise your hands and we'll point each other out. We can do that today also. Uh, but as you're kind of looking to, to get married or looking for a spouse, there's certain priorities that you kind of have to have. You might have a giant list of here's all the things that I want in a spouse, but then you start to say, that is going to leave me unmarried forever. And so then you need to prioritize that in some way. Say, okay, I want someone that shares the same faith I do. That's number one. I want someone preferably who is alive. That's maybe number two. I want, um, you know, whatever other things that there might be someone that shares a common vision in life. And there's certain priorities that you need to have. And maybe all the way at the bottom is they need to share, they need to like the same board game I like or something. But you need to prioritize because if we get that wrong, things get, get really messed up, right? Same thing when you're looking for a house. If, if for those of you that have met with a real estate agent and you begin to prioritize, they're probably going to ask you, okay, so what are the things that are most important to you? And there might be some things that are on the wish list, that are on the, man, I really, this would be amazing, but it's not the priority. And so you have to prioritize to be able to make good decisions in life. We've got to put first things first. It helps us know what to do. And when our priorities are misaligned, when our priorities are off, eventually what happens, and it doesn't mean it happens right away, but what we miss out on what could be. When our priorities are off, if you put the, the wrong things first, if you put third things first or fourth things first or even second things first, what happens is you miss out on what you could experience by living a life that is filled with priorities. This is true in small things and it's true in big things. I, I was thinking about this even for me in the mornings. What I like to do when I, when I wake up is with a cup of coffee, I like to go on my phone and, and read the news and look at a couple different blogs. And, and it used to a lot of times go on Facebook and then go on Instagram and then go on Twitter and then hate myself and go, what just happened to my life? Have you ever gone on like some Facebook or something and gone, what was I doing? What am I even doing? What was that? Why am I here? What am I looking at? I don't even know these people. Why am I looking at their pictures? I don't care. And that, that throws off. And so what I've started to do in the mornings is start with, okay, there's a certain book I want to read. I want to make sure I do that first. And then if there's any time, then I might look at the news or I might look at certain blogs. But I know I want to read this book, so I start with that. Now, that's, that's a small little thing. Maybe that, that helps in some ways set good priorities and, and leads me to experience some things I want. But if you get other things off, if you get other priorities off, it can have big consequences. If you get work and marriage off or work and family off, that has big consequences in, in your life. If you say, first to me is work, and my wife and my kids or my husband and my kids, those come second, those come third, it messes up big things. 
If, if you get the first things off, it eventually leads to a life that we actually don't want, right? It's not just a life that is not good. It's a life that we don't want. It's important to have our priorities aligned. And the more important the thing is, the more true that is. Like work and family, more important than reading a book. The more important it is, the more effects that it has, which is why it's really important to understand what it means to have God, to have faith, to have Jesus, to have our life with him, to have that as a priority above every other thing. Because if the most important thing is off, it will affect every other thing. If what is most important is misaligned or put in the wrong slot, then it will lead to effect negatively all other things in our life. And we will miss out more than if we just miss out on reading a book that we wanted to read. But if we do have our priorities aligned, what that leads to is a deeper experience of joy, a deeper experience of clarity and focus in our life. And what it leads to is being able to rightly experience all the other things. When your first priorities are aligned, you get to experience the other things in the right way that they were intended to be. But, and this is why this is important to look at today, our default is not that. Our default is not living with priority. That's why they have to write books about here's the seven highly effective habits. It's why we have to be disciplined. It's why we have to kind of be called back to things because that's not our default position, right? Our default position is not to live first things first, second thing. Our, our default is just to kind of go in the moment, what feels good, what we like. That's our default position. And if you're not a Christian today, you may be exploring faith. You may be exploring God, Jesus, something kind of along those lines. And you, you know, in some sense, that there's something important about this. That's why you're exploring. And, and today, Jesus wants to speak into your life and help you understand how he, how faith, how God can be a priority and, and how we can experience that. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you know, if I were to ask you, if we were to sit down and talk about priorities, all Christians would say, yes, God is my first priority. My faith is my first priority. Jesus is my first priority. We would, we would say that for those of us that are Christians. But it's easy, it's easy to actually miss that. It's easy, it's easy to actually not experience the change that God wants to do in our life. It's easy to get off track. And so today... We want to look at how we prioritize Jesus, how we prioritize faith. How can we prioritize God above every other thing so that all the other things fall into the right place, so that we don't miss out, so that we get to experience all the other things in the right way and we can live with a joy and a clarity and a focus. How do we prioritize Jesus? It's a big question because we would all say, if you're a Christian, that is our number one priority, and yet it's easy to get pulled away. And so we need to explore what that looks like, what keeps us from that, what it actually looks like, and what can draw us towards that. And so our final story that we're looking at is maybe a story you've heard. It's kind of a famous story in the Bible. 
Uh, but we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with this person that helps us to understand this very important topic today. Luke 18. A ruler asked him, that is, this person came up to Jesus and asked him this question. We don't know what he is the ruler of, but of something, perhaps a religious ruler, perhaps some sort of governmental leader. But a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. And Jesus is going to, even here, as you see, just begin to kind of switch the conversation. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So he begins to quote from the Ten Commandments, saying, you, you already know these things. And the ruler replies, I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Here's the first thing. Oh, sorry. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, or brothers, or sisters, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. First question that we need to explore is, what holds us back from prioritizing Jesus? And even just to personalize this for yourself, to ask, what is holding me back? What's holding me back from following Jesus? What's holding me back from prioritizing Jesus in my life? I want you to think about that question. And, and hopefully some of it will begin to flesh itself out. If, if that isn't super present in your mind, that, that's okay. But what's holding me back from following Jesus? What's keeping us from prioritizing Jesus, from having first things first, God, faith? And here's what we see, a couple things in this story. Very interesting, the first one is this, that this man thinks, and this can be true of us, this man thinks that he is devoted to God. He thinks that he is devoted to his faith. He says to Jesus, good teacher. So there's even this respect to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's, there's a, a good question in there where he is saying, I, I want this life with God. I want to get it right. And Jesus gives him some, some rules and some lists of things. And he says, I have kept all these from my youth. Jesus gives him these kind of measurable commands to look at his life. And he says, check, I've done those things. And we might read that and say, wow, how arrogant, how could you say that? But 
Jesus doesn't rebuke him at all for any of those things, which is to imply he's right. He has kept these things ever since he was a child. Some of you look at your life and go, man, I've had a, I've had a rough past. I've had seasons where I've walked away from God. I know I've maybe even things on this list. You wouldn't be able to say this. You'd say, I've done that. I've done that. But some of you look at your life and go, yeah, me too. I've kept all these since my youth. I, I was raised maybe in the church or a good family, and I've sought to live a really good life, and I've kept all these from my youth. Now, we, we already read the story, so we know that this man walks away from Jesus. We know that he walks away sad. We know that he doesn't actually have his priorities in the right place, but it's interesting to see we can think. We can think that we are devoted to God. We can think that we are devoted to Jesus. We can think that we are devoted to our faith. And one of the things that has the potential to keep us held back from actually prioritizing Jesus, just like this man, is the belief that we are devoted, the belief that we are obedient, the belief that we do want to follow God. This man started his day and started his interaction with Jesus believing, I've lived a good life and I want to know how to get it right. I want to know in some ways what God's will is. That's how, that was his view of himself. But he was wrong. And sometimes our thoughts and our perception of our own devotion is actually what keeps us held back from following Jesus. We can, this is so important for some of us. We can live good, moral lives and miss still the power and change that Jesus wants to bring about in our life. We can have a track record of since my youth. We can even humbly come to Jesus and say, good teacher, tell me what I must do. And still, it might be that very sense, our, our own perception of who we are as devoted that keeps us held back. Because oftentimes, and this is kind of the second thing, they're linked. Oftentimes, though we have a perception of our devotion, there are other things that we have a greater devotion to which is what we see in this man's life. Jesus says to him, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. And he became extremely sad because he was very rich. See, there's a lot of things. There are a lot of things that can fit in, that can fit in to life with God. There's a lot of things that could actually be number one, but God can still be present in your life. Maybe friends is number one, and God can still be a part of that. Maybe living a good life and being moral is number one, and God can still be a part of that. Maybe riches is number one, and God can still be a part of that. But at times what happens is our stated devotion or our perception of our devotion gets tested. That's what happened to him. He comes to Jesus saying, just tell me what to do and tell me how to live. 
And Jesus says, okay, all right. You want, it, you want to do this? You want to engage? You want to know? And he gives him something. But the man walks away extremely sad because there was something else that was actually a greater devotion to him. He said that Jesus was good. He said he had obeyed God his whole life. He listened to what Jesus said, but his priorities didn't change. His life didn't change. So when a test actually came to him, when Jesus actually spoke to him and said, okay, you're asking, here's the answer, there was something that he was hanging on to, something that he couldn't let go of that led it to be that he was held back from Jesus. So what keeps us held back from following Jesus? It, it may be that we think we are devoted and we can go on our whole life living with that perception and kind of check the box that we're good. And yet there's greater things that we are devoted to that when Jesus tests them, it really reveals what is most important to us. Now, I don't think for everybody that Jesus would call us to sell all that we have and give it to the poor. That's not a, a general command that Jesus gives to everyone. We looked last week at Zacchaeus, and Jesus doesn't tell him anything, but Zacchaeus, in an extremely generous show, says he will give away half of his stuff. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you need to give away everything. That's not a general blanket rule that, that we have, but Jesus knew what it was for this man that he needed to hear. And it's important for us to say, where is a call come into our life? Where has a command of Jesus come into our life? Where have we read the Bible and seen God say something, seen God reveal something, seen him show us what his will is through his word, and when that test came, it showed what we really love. It showed what we're really devoted to. When we come to church, maybe, or come to community group, and we say, yes, I am devoted. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want God to be number one. But then, when something was presented, and we realized, ah, that's the thing for me that I can't give up on. That's the thing for me that actually reveals I might, God might be a priority, but he, not, he might not be at the top. God might be something that I say I'm devoted to, but he might not actually be the one that governs all else. If I can fit things in to life with God, then great. But if the puzzle piece doesn't quite match, then I might need to get rid of the God piece and allow it to fit into what is most important. Where, where has that happened in your life? Where something has been revealed as this is what I actually prioritize. So what keeps us held back from Jesus is this. It's not necessarily our devotion to God or our desire for God. It's that we have greater devotions and greater desires. It's that there are things that are actually in that number one spot that if Jesus were to challenge, and maybe he has, if Jesus were to call, and maybe he has, you actually experience a sadness, a loss, and walk away. Because at the end of the day, we think we want our joy and our good for us more than he actually does. This is the first thing we need to understand if we want to 
prioritize and live with God as a priority is what is it that is holding us back? Oh, sorry, I don't know how I skipped to that. That's been on there. There we go. But second, what does it look like to prioritize Jesus? First question is, what holds us back? What does it look like to actually prioritize Jesus? Some things can hold us back that are actually in the first spot. But what does it look like to prioritize? And Jesus says this, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. I love that Jesus speaks like this, and I love that this is what he says, because I'm sure that there's a lot of things going on in this man's life that could be temptations or could be various sins, but Jesus is being a good spiritual doctor. He's being a good surgeon, and he's going straight after what he knows is the core thing, and so he says, you lack one thing. There's one thing that will get to the heart of the matter. There's one thing that if we focus on this, it will unveil all the other things in your life. He knows exactly what this man needs, exactly what we need, and what it looks to prioritize Jesus is surrender. And he goes on this section, he says, when Peter says, look, we've left what we had and followed you, Jesus says, there's no one who has left a house, wife, or brothers, or sisters, parents, or children. So look at all these other things that Jesus lists. First, he says, you lack one thing to this man. But then when he's talking to Peter, and Peter says, we've left these things. And Jesus lists out a bunch of other things, mainly our relationships. But marked, uh, kind of collected within house and all those things is really your time and your vocation and all sorts of things. So we know that Jesus isn't only talking about money because then when he responds to Peter, he lists out all these other kinds of things that people leave. So here's, here's the answer of what it looks like to prioritize Jesus. It is surrender. It is to surrender or to leave, as Jesus says, whatever that thing is. It's to surrender wife and house and kids. And, and Jesus didn't mean there he wanted them to you know, abandon their children or divorce their, their spouse or to burn down their house or something, but he's talking about priority. For these men, specifically for the disciples, to leave wife and children and house was a literal, they are going with Jesus in ministry and leaving people at home. But it's about priorities whether that's money, whether those are relationships, whether that's a home, whatever that is, Jesus is saying, here's what it looks like to prioritize me. Surrender. Leaving. Release. Maybe it is money. This is not a sermon about money, so if you think that you know, churches just all they ever do is talk about money, I'm not going to do that today, hardly. I'm going to do a little bit because I need to live up to the reputation that we have. But <laughs> that's not mainly what this sermon is about. But it might be. It might be our, our money. It might be that Jesus, that, that thing, that one thing for us is our finances. And we say we're devoted to God and we say we want to follow Jesus. And if Jesus were to speak and say to you that one thing, it might be our money. We're willing to obey God and all sorts of things, but... I think it's uh, Charles Spurgeon, who is a famous British preacher. He said that the last thing to get converted in a Christian is their wallet. And I think that might be true for a lot of us. 
<clears throat> so maybe it's money. Maybe it's our time, though. Some of us find it easier to give our money than our time. And maybe what Jesus would say to us is there's one thing you lack. I want you to give me this time. Are you willing to leave that? Are you willing to release? Some, some of us, think, think about that some of the obstacles in your life of where Jesus is calling you, of where he's saying, come follow me to this. But we say, yeah, but I, then I wouldn't have time to do this. I wouldn't have time for this. I wouldn't have, maybe it's freedom. Just the idea of being restricted in something. Sometimes this is our problem with committing to something is we don't want to give up our freedom and the ability to kind of govern our own life and not really have any commitments weighing us down. And Jesus would say, okay, here's what I want. Are you willing to release your freedom? Are you willing to release your reputation and what people think about you? That might be a hard one for many of us. We say, okay, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to give my money. And even kind of in church, I'm going to serve and I'm going to have relationships. But outside of here, I really still want to be thought well of. I don't want people to think less of me. I don't want people to think that I'm hypocritical or a bigot or judgmental or all sorts of kind of things. Or I don't want people to think I'm shoving my faith down their throat. Or I don't want people to think poorly of me. And so there's certain things that Jesus would call me towards and being bold and authentic with just who I am in my faith or what I believe. But I can't get rid of that thing. I'll be moral. I won't commit adultery. I won't steal. I won't murder. That's a pretty easy one. I won't murder, right? Like if you wake up and are like, I won't murder, God. I'm following you. I'm totally devoted. That's a really low bar, but I won't, I won't murder. But this thing I can't release. It might be money. It might be time. It might be our reputation. It might be, Jesus lists out wife and kids and brothers and sisters. It might be family. And what does that look like for us? I don't think Jesus is calling any of you to divorce your spouse or to abandon your kids on the street. That's not what he's saying. But isn't it easy for those of you that are parents to have kids be number one in your life? And so your schedule revolves around sports or school or homework. And it's easy for that to be number one. Or even for those of you with younger children that are babies or, uh, and I don't mean babies like they're, you know, crybabies or something, but they're actual babies. Uh, they're allowed to be crybabies. They're, they're little babies. It's easy to have that even wrap up your whole life. And for those of you that, I know some of you are engaged or moving towards getting married or just getting married, and it's easy for marriage to become the number one thing in our life. It's where all of our time and so all of our energy and Jesus says, are you willing to release to not have as number one your family? It's interesting, even in Christian circles, that a lot of times we talk about family's number one and family values. But a lot of times, so much energy gets put into family or even marriage. And if that's the first thing, then faith, God, if it's misaligned, it gets out of whack. We miss out on what God wants to do. If God is first, if Jesus is in that prioritized position, which really is not just a, number, a numbering system, but if, if he is first, it means that everything else is encompassed and experienced rightly. 
I don't know what it is for you. It's, it's worth thinking about what is it that Jesus would point out in our life and say, okay, if you want to prioritize me, it, no matter what, in all of our lives, maybe, maybe I should say this. Listen, if, if you're not thinking about that there are other priorities that are warring in your soul, we're probably not paying attention. We're probably actually just so committed to those things that we don't feel the tension at all. We've probably already, like the rich young ruler, walked away and we're living that life now and not even thinking about the moment of tension where this guy was. What are the things in your life that are actually keeping you from God, faith, Jesus, being first? It can be a lot of different things. It can be really anything, and most of the time, it is going to be good things. It's going to be, I mean, Jesus, they're all good things that he lists. He doesn't say that anyone that has left sin and anyone that's left adultery and a murderous life to follow me, he doesn't say that. He says good things, right? He names house and spouse and Mickey Mouse. I mean, I don't know what the third, right? Just that represents, you know, entertainment. I don't know. He, he lists out like good things in our life. He says there's good things that will keep you from prioritizing me. And if we, if we don't understand that, we will live good, moral, Christian lives and actually be totally misaligned. That it is the good things that often battle for the best thing of what Jesus wants to do in us. It might just kind of be living a normal life. And by that, what we mean is sort of the life that everybody else has, just living a, a normal life. Just living maybe the way we were raised or the way our friends are. I just want to live a normal life. And if Christianity can kind of fit into that, awesome. But if it can't, ugh, I don't know if I can release that. Jesus wants to realign our priorities to give us something better. He wants to realign our priorities to give us something better. But in order to do that, we have to. The Christian life is filled with release. I don't know if you guys have ever um, seen this or heard about this, um, but they, they used to, and I don't know if they do this anymore. I don't, you can kind of see this. It's a blurry picture, but um, the way that they used to capture monkeys was that they would take a coconut and hollow it out and kind of chain it, or there's some that are like a chain, and there's some that... Um, you know, this one's just sort of tied around a tree, but they would put something in there that the monkey wants, a nut or a fruit or something like that. And when the monkey reaches into the coconut, he grabs around it, but the thing is bigger than can actually fit out of the hole. And so his hand is locked in and he can't experience freedom. He's trapped because he won't let go. For a child, if you wanted to do this to a child, you'd put like an iPhone or a tablet in there. And you would, you would, they would say, I need this, right? Um, something like that, right? Or a pacifier for those of you that have you know, young, young, young children. Um, I think this is a helpful picture to think about our life. Jesus is saying, I want you to release whatever that thing might be. Time, money, being liked, normalcy, family, house, 
all sorts of things, freedom. And we think, yeah, but I need this. This is so good. This is so valuable. This is going to benefit me so much. And Jesus is saying, release. But why? He's not, he's not just trying to get us to drop something and leave it. He is saying, I want you to actually have freedom. You're actually trapped and don't even realize it. You're actually enslaved and don't even realize it. You're actually living a life with priorities misaligned, which means you're missing out on what a life filled with the most important priorities could actually have. Jesus is calling us to drop the nut or whatever it is, not to hurt us, but because he's trying to call us to freedom. He's the... the excuse the analogy, but he's the monkey's kind of father over here saying, drop that and come with me. Drop that and come with me so you can experience life as it was meant to be lived. So you can experience all of the change and purpose and joy and focus that I have for you with first things first. But we hang on. We hang on. And Jesus is saying, I have more for you. And he also says this with the whole kind of camel going through the eye of a needle thing. Camels are big, right? It would be probably the biggest animal that they would have been familiar with. A needle would be kind of the smallest object that you would encounter on a daily basis. And what he's saying when he says that it's harder for a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle is it's really, really, really hard for a rich person to enter into God's kingdom. Why? Because the more that we have, the more, listen, even the more good and the more that we have and the more that we love something, the harder it is to release it. The more that it's kind of overtaken our life, the more that our life has become defined by it, the more that we rely on it, the more important it is to us. The better even that that thing is, the harder it is to release. For those that are wealthy, which in America is basically all of us, not everybody, but most of us in America compared to the world, the more that we have and the more that that blesses our life and the more good that it brings about in our life, the harder it is to release those things. If you've got nothing, if you're sick and destitute and have nothing, it's easier to say, I need Jesus. But if you've got everything, and you've got a house, and you've got a wife, and you've got kids, and you've got brothers, and you've got sisters, and you've got friends, and you've got reputation, and you've got a vocation, and you have life built out, it's a lot harder to release and say, I'm willing to lose it all to experience God's kingdom, to experience life with him, to experience his salvation. Good news is Jesus says that what's impossible for us is possible for God, that he can do that. So what does it look like to prioritize Jesus? It looks like surrender. It looks like release. And I want you to ask this question. The first question is, that I want you to kind of ask is, what is that thing that Jesus is pointing out that's holding you back? But I want you to ask this when we talk about what does it look like to prioritize. 
And if you're at home kind of watching online, same thing. I want you to think about this question. Is this your life? Is your life a life where you have released and a life of constant release? And I think this is such an important question because it gets at the reality right now. Not, yes, I did that one day. There was a time I did that. Not, are you, listen, I'm not asking you this. I'm not asking, are you willing to do this? Because that presumes that Jesus has not already presented things in your life. And we can keep saying, yeah, I'm willing. If you were to talk to the rich young ruler at eight in the morning, are you willing to follow God? Yes, of course, he would say. I have since my youth. So it's not, are you willing? Have, is, is this your life? Not, are you willing? Not, will you do this one day? Not, have you done it in the past, some other time? But can you actually point at your life and say, this describes my life. This is my life's pattern. It is a life of release. It is a life of leaving and, and listening to whatever Jesus says and going with him. Now, I can't answer for that question for you. I can't, I, I can't see inside your heart or your life or your choices, and I'm not saying that's even an easy question, but what I don't, listen, I don't want any of us today to hear this story and just quickly, without thoughtfulness, go, yep, check, got it. Because that's really how the rich young ruler's mindset was until Jesus challenged him. So is this our life? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's jumbled up and you're not sure. And I hope that God would give you clarity on that as you begin to think through it. What keeps us, what holds us back from prioritizing Jesus can be that we think we are devoted, but we're actually devoted to other things. What it looks like actually to prioritize Jesus is surrender. It's release. Finally, what can motivate us to prioritize Jesus? What, what is it that Jesus says? Because Jesus doesn't just say to him, leave it all, the end. He actually speaks to him and gives him motivation, which I think is so helpful because it's a, I mean, if you think about it, it's a, like if someone said to you, I want you to leave your wife and your kids and follow me. I mean, outside of Jesus, you would say, I'm calling the cops, right? You would say, get away from me. Who are you? So that's a, that's a big call to make. Leave your house, leave your wife, leave your kids, leave your job, leave all your riches. I mean, that's, that's a big call. And Jesus isn't blind to that fact. Jesus isn't foolish. He, he, he knows what he is saying to us. And so when he speaks with this man and when he speaks with us, he gives us reasons. He motivates with truth because it is difficult. There may be things in your life that you know, maybe some of us need to think about it more, but there may be things in your life that you know. Jesus is calling me to release time, money, freedom, relationships, other priorities, being liked, a life of normal, whatever it is. You may know those things and say, but it's so hard. Jesus says, I know. I know it's hard. And he gives reasons to motivate. He gives reasons to build trust 
He gives reasons to build confidence. So let's look at a couple of the things that he says. The first that maybe is easily overlooked is he says to sell it all and then come, follow me. Now we can skip over that, but he is not just saying leave these things, see you later. He is giving him an invitation to be with him. Listen, any invitation, any calling that Jesus asks you to release something is an invitation to come experience his presence more. Any calling of obedience that Jesus is giving to you is a call to follow him, which means to be with him. Any time that you make a step of obedience, you are actually saying, I am going to be in his presence. I'm going to experience life with him. I'm going to experience life connected to him, knowing him, pleasing him, enjoying him. He's not just calling you to leave something. He's calling you to come be with someone himself. And so that's the first motivation that he gives to us is it might be hard, the things that he's calling us to, but you're not alone. You can experience a closeness with Jesus. Every step of obedience, you can experience a closeness with him. Second, he says, Jesus would say, yes, there is a cost. We are weighing the cost all the time, right? We're weighing, do I want to give up this freedom? Do I want to give up this approval? Do I want to give up this security or this time or this money? We're weighing the cost all the time. There is a cost, but it's only to receive something better. I mean, we read this. He says, get rid of all of this and you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus isn't just saying, get rid of it all and have a nice life. He is saying, lose that, but I'm going to give you something better. Lose all of your earthly riches and I will give you treasure in heaven. And then down here, when he is talking with Peter, he says, no one has left any of these things that has not received many times more at this time. That means now and in eternal life and eternal life in the age to come. So both now and then. Jesus is saying, yes, there is a cost, but it's only a cost that you're paying to receive something better. The trade is way unequal. Lose this to gain way more. Sometimes uh, in the morning, I will, um, usually if I get up earlier than normal, I don't know, maybe there's a loud noise outside or I just can't sleep. And if I'm up and it's 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or something, and a lot of times I think, uh, you know, I'm going to go get McDonald's for breakfast and bring it back for my kids and, and myself. I'm not that holy, but for my kids and, and me. And, uh, you know, m- normally my kids eat, you know, yogurt or cereal or something like that for breakfast. And a couple times I've left a note saying, don't eat breakfast, because I might not be back in time before they get there. Don't eat breakfast. Uh, wait. And, and then I come back, you know, with like a, a McGriddle. Have you ever had a McGriddle? Oh my gosh. It's the, I'm like a foodie, so I love like, you know, really fancy food that costs 
too much money for tiny little portions, but a McGriddle, oh my gosh, that should be like five Michelin stars, everything. It's the best invention. You know, we go to the moon and then we made the McGriddle, and I feel like humanity could say, done. You know, we've done it. Pancake sandwich with sausage, cheese, egg, like fake egg, but still egg, you know, and it's so good. It's so good. Um, and uh, what am I talking about? Um, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, uh, McGriddle, right? So, I, so, what I'm trying to do is this with my kids I'm trying to say, give up your yogurt, drop your yogurt, but not because I don't want you to eat. Not because I'm trying to take from, not because I'm a yogurt Nazi that is, I mean, I'm trying to give you something better. I'm, what, I'm, trying, to get, I'm trying to get you to release old curdled milk for a McGriddle. I'm trying to give you something better. I'm not trying to cause, I, this isn't a sacrifice. I'm not asking you to sacrifice anything. I'm giving you many times more. You've ever gone on a, a long road trip? on vacation or maybe even a long flight. And that can be painful sometimes. You're in the car for a long time. You've got to pee on the side of the road. You've got to, I mean, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. Your legs cramp. If, if you've ever gone on a road trip with kids, that's got complications. There's all sorts of things, right? You've got to compete with the traffic and tra- not lose your place in line once you get back in. There's all sorts of things. But you're, you're giving up. You're leaving home. You're experiencing a road trip and some of the the negatives of that, but for something better, for the destination of where you're going, for where you are arriving to, whether whether that's kind of a fun destination or family or friends or whatever it is. Jesus is saying this. I think this is so important for us to understand. He is saying, it may feel like loss. It may feel like you're losing something. It may feel like you're releasing something. But in the future and now, I want to give you many times more what you're giving up. Now, that can mean a lot of things. That doesn't mean that he says, release a dollar and I'll give you $10. That's not what that means. But he is saying, when you release whatever it is, for the rich man, he said, riches in heaven. It might mean that you get to release some of your time, but you get to experience being a part of God's purpose. It might be that you release some of your money, but you get to experience what a generous life can lead to and how you can bless others and things that you can be a part of in the city and in the world. It may be that you release reputation, but you get to experience a life of authenticity and boldness and maybe even help others come to faith. It may be that you release freedom and constriction, but you get to experience the joy and the benefit of being a committed part of something. It may be that you release all sorts of things, but you get to experience the presence of God closer because of the loss. You get to experience more of him because you've released everything else. You get to experience more of his faithfulness and trustworthiness and his generosity and his provision because you've totally leaned yourself upon him. We sang the song a little bit ago. Bids me come and die to find that I may truly live. Yes, Jesus is calling us to release. 
he's calling us to die. But that is never what Jesus majors on. Sometimes I think in Christianity, that's what we major on. That it's Christianity is a sacrifice. And you better, you better be willing to lay it all down for the Lord. or Something like that. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you treasures in heaven. Whatever you've lost, I'm going to give you many times more. You'll experience things now and in the age to come. Jesus is majoring on, yeah, I'm calling you to release the yogurt, but I'm giving you the McGriddle. That's the 2021 you know, Caleb version. So where are you struggling to leave? Where are you struggling to release? Where are you struggling to choose? Okay, Jesus, where are you struggling with that? Because what he says is, my heart is not to take anything from you. God is not a taker. He is a giver. And he is asking us to release only so he can fill our hands and our lives and our hearts and our minds with more. Next thing is this. I don't know what's going on there. Next thing is this. I think maybe it's a McDonald's truck full of McGriddles, you know. If this was a mega church, that's what it would be. Open the gates, you know. And the griddles would flood in. It'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> I wish it was. Um, uh, here's something else I think is helpful to think about. Maybe, maybe you have made choices to follow Jesus. Maybe you've made some choices to follow Jesus. You've made some of those release choices, but you begin to feel the pain of that. So kind of like Peter, you've, you've done that. You could say to Jesus, I, I did that. We've left it all, Peter says. So maybe you have done that, but then you begin to feel the pain of that. You begin to feel some of the regret of that. Maybe you begin to feel some jealousy of other people's lives compared to your life. Maybe it didn't pay off like you thought it would. You thought it was a little bit more like, okay, I give a dollar, I get 10 or something like that. Maybe you thought it would be like that. Maybe there's even some self-righteousness when you look at other people's lives. I've, I've left it all. I think there's a hint of that that we see in Peter. That's what Peter says. See, Lord, we, we've left it all. But he says down here, again, we already looked at it, but when Peter says, look, we've left what we had and followed you, Jesus says, kinda. Yeah, you've left it. But remember that there's many times more. And I wanted to point this angle out particularly, not for those of us that are trying to decide if we're willing to leave, but because I know that some of you have, some of you have left money and time and reputation and all of those things. But listen, if life mainly feels like sacrifice, like it did with Peter, if life mainly feels like sacrifice or loss, look at everything I've left, if that's mainly kind of how you think about it, Jesus is saying, you're forgetting God's heart. You're forgetting that he's not a taker, he's a giver. And that anything that you have left has only been actually to receive more. And Jesus wants to reassure our hearts. He sees every sacrifice that's been made. He sees every hour, every dollar, every loss of relationship, 
every, everything that could have been. He sees that. He knows. And he doesn't say to us, thank you so much. Oh, that's so nice of you to do that for me. He wants to reassure us. Treasure in heaven, many times more now and in the age to come of the blessing that we're actually getting. And so any place that our heart mainly feels like sacrifice, Jesus is calling us back to remember, how is God actually blessing me through these things I've released? How is God actually more present because I've released? He wants to reassure our hearts that we haven't lost anything. He's a giver. Final thing is this, of what helps, prior, helps us motivate, is his love. The very next section, we didn't read this one yet, and I'll read it real quick. It says, then he took the 12 aside. So right after this, it says, he took the 12 aside and told them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that's written through the prophets about the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be accomplished. So he's speaking about himself right now. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Here's the final thing that can motivate us to prioritize Jesus. It's his love for us. Right after he is calling them to leave it all behind, right after he's calling them to release it all, he says, see, that's what I'm doing for you. I'm willing to be rejected relationally. I'm willing to be hurt physically. I'm willing to go to the point of death for you. See, we said that the, the more, the, the better something is, the more value something has, the harder it is to release. Jesus had it all. Jesus had perfect relationship with God. Jesus had no physical pain. Jesus, Jesus had perfect loving community within the Trinity. I mean, he had it all. He had all the riches of heaven, and he left it all to come into this world as a man, to be flogged and beaten and rejected and insulted and spit upon. He left it all for something better. He was willing to lay it all down for something better. Life with you and me, salvation of our souls, bringing us into his family. Jesus said to them, I want you to release it all. I want you to leave it all. Why? How can I do that? What can motivate me? And he says, see, I'm doing this for you. They didn't get it yet. And until the crucifixion and resurrection, it wasn't clear to them. But for us, what this is saying is this. How do we know he's worth it? How do we know we can trust him to, to lay it all down? And he says, I did it first for you. I did it first for you. We're going to take communion. When we take communion, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering that G, the picture that Jesus gave us, his body broken, his blood shed, his life laid down, him releasing it all for us to save us to bring us true life. So we want a life of priorities. We want a life that leads to greater alignment and focus and joy, to have God first. 
We can only do that when we see the things that are holding us back and when we're willing to surrender and when we focus on the promises that he gives to us that allow our hearts to be freed. So here's what I want you to think about or confess even as you take communion. Confess what it is that you're holding on to. Maybe you don't know. Maybe ask God to reveal that to you, to show that to you. But confess the things that you are holding on to. That you think, I need this. Confess where you're hanging on. Confess the, the fear that you have. Confess even where you view your life as sacrifice. Maybe you're not hanging on to anything, but you really still view, I have sacrificed for Jesus. Confess those places in your heart and then ask God to help you to see the truth of what we just looked at. His presence, his reward, his love. Ask him to make that real to your heart afresh again. And then commit to surrendering. Maybe it's a specific choice. Maybe there's a specific thing. But commit to surrendering to him because he surrendered for us. I'm going to be in the back. If anyone would like prayer for anything, if you'd like prayer for healing in your life or just prayer for about any of the things going on, we'd love to pray for you. But take a minute. For those of us that are Christians, take communion. And then... We will respond in a few songs. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us and that you see every single decision or struggle or area in our life where we want to prioritize you, we, but, it, but it's hard. You, you see all that. And I pray that even now in this time as we take communion and, and sing, that you would reassure our hearts of your goodness, of your grace, and that you can be trusted. Pray this in your name, Jesus.